Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Uh, welcome to Hilton Head Island Community Church. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and I'm the lead pastor. So glad that you have chosen to join with us in worshiping this morning and being here uh, in church. Uh, we are in the second installment of our series um, called Taking It to the Streets. And in this series, the purpose of this series is to challenge and encourage us to take what God has given us, which is eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ, and to take that message out there into the world and into our community. And so we're in this uh, series. It's week two. I want to just remind you, or maybe for some of you this is a bit of a way of catching up, that we began last week by talking about kind of the overarching mission of the church, not, Hilton, not just Hilton Head Island Community Church, but the church at large. And it's very interesting because we, we as a church are part of something that has lasted 2,000 years, uh, over 2,000 years. Uh, we're a part of, of really a movement of God that has lasted that long and will continue to last. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so last week we talked about that there's this contrast between um, what we think of as church the word that we got it from was a German word, Kirch, which meant location or meeting place of God. And that's great and that's good, but Jesus called the church the ecclesia, which is a Greek word that means the movement of God. And so uh, we as a church have made the strategic decision from early on that we don't want to be a place, just a place. We want to be a part of the movement of God that has lasted 2,000 years and so we as a church say we are part of the broad movement of God, and we support that, and we do everything that we can to continue um, that movement of God. But at the end of last week's message, I ended with a statement that probably uh, bothered some of you. It bothered even me, okay? The statement was that, at, that what happens as a result of the church making the decision that they're going to be part of the movement of God is this messy middle, the combination that's so messy of religious hypocrites and worldly sinners. And the reason that it upset so many of us is because some of us are one and some of us are the other, and many of us are really both, okay? So let's just get that out there and just say that. Um, that the church is supposed to be a place that wherever you are in life, whatever struggles you're having, whatever thing that you're facing, whatever things, thing or things that you've done in your past, you ought to be able to come to this place and be a part of this movement, and you ought to be able to come knowing that you're under construction, and that's okay. And that's not easy for us to get our minds around. It's not easy for us to get our hearts around. Sometimes we want people that are all nice and neat and clean, but that's not what Jesus was about. He went out and he reached the lost and he reached those who were very far from God and uh, was able to accept all the things that went along with that. And so we are that. We're the movement of God where there's a messy mix of people who come from very religious backgrounds and those who come from extremely broken backgrounds. And when we see that mix, we know that we're doing our job. We know when we see that mix in church that we are doing our job. I want to be the type of church that people can come and they can belong and they can believe before we expect them to have to behave a certain way. 
And so that's, I believe, what, the, what God has called us to be, the church that God has called us to me. And that's all great, and that's exciting, and a lot of you are like, yeah, that's awesome, let's do that. But, but that is our overarching mission as a church. It takes each one of us who call ourselves Christ followers to be personally on mission for God to accomplish just that. And so today, we're going to go kind of from the macro view to the micro view and take a look at what that means to you and to me. Before we dive in, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time together. God, we just thank you so much for um, what you're doing in the life of your church here on Hilton Head Island. And God, I hear many great stories from churches in our state, in our region, in our nation, in our world. You are on the move. You're active in our culture. and You're active in our lives. And God, I pray today in the strong name of Jesus that you would bind Satan from this room. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all wisdom and truth and understanding. And Father God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts, all of us who are hearing this message today. God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts, search us as David prayed, search us deep within and help change our hearts because of your word. And God, may you use each one of us, may you lead each one of us to have compassionate eyes, humble hands, and a heart that loves others. Go before us today and be with us. May my words not be mine, but God, may they be yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many of you remember the first time that you drove a car with your mom or dad or an adult? You remember that experience of driving for the first time at 15 or 16 years old? Um, we all have a story um, and about that experience. Mine is this, I was 15 years old my dad was my driving instructor, and uh, that was great, actually, because he's a, he's a very good driver, and um, he is a very good instructor. And, uh, but my, and my dad's a very smart man, but um, one day he decided it was time for me to go out on the open road. And he made the decision to do that, um, surprisingly, at dusk in Atlanta with his 1980-something Mercedes sedan car. I was scared to drive that car just in the neighborhood. I mean, down to the cul-de-sac and back just scared me to death, never mind going out on the open road. But Dad thought this would be a good idea. I guess, you know, you know kick me out of the nest or whatever. But anyway, he thought it would be a great idea to do this. And so one day he came home from work, and uh, we set out to go drive around the area of Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is where I grew up. And so we drove, and we got out, and I think we went over to Walmart and did some, did some stuff there. And then we drove kind of back around all these shopping areas, and it was basically red and green lights and stop signs and, you know, switching lanes, and, and it was all really nice. And then, as it got darker, Dad said something that scared me to death. He said, hey, let's go over to Highway 78 and get on the Stone Mountain Freeway. They call it a freeway because people think they're free to drive as fast as they can. And so I was scared to go out on the freeway, but Dad insisted, you got to do this. At some point in time, you got to do this, so now's your time. Now, Highway 78 in Stone Mountain, Georgia, is the only road, really, that connects directly downtown Atlanta to Stone Mountain. And so everybody that leaves their jobs in downtown Atlanta and drives home to the suburbs in Stone Mountain or surrounding areas, they drive on Highway 78. 
at dusk, during the week, at night. And so um, we weren't alone out there. And so dad told me, hey, just go down this road and, and you can get on the merge lane and you can merge onto uh, Highway 78 Stone Mountain Freeway. And so I did, but as I got closer, my, uh, my white knuckles came out. I started grabbing that steering wheel and just the sweat started pouring out because I knew that that was fast traffic. You know, nobody's going less than 60 or 65 miles an hour. And I've got to get from here in this lane to over here because at some point in time, this nice lane here that you can go slowly on, it runs out at some point in time. And so I'm thinking, I have got to do this, and I'm not sure if I can yet. And so we got onto that merge lane, and um, as we did, instead of putting my foot on the accelerator further, I backed off of the accelerator. And I started going slower on the merge lane. And so I could hear my dad next to me going, speed up, speed up, faster, faster. And he kept getting louder and louder. And I kept getting more white knuckles and, you know, scared. And then all of a sudden, I realized my right tires were in the emergency lane. I could feel the bump of the emergency lane, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I don't even know what I was running over. But I was scared to death to make that transition from the merge lane to the main road that was there because there were cars all over the place. And my dad, he, my poor dad, he was getting even more scared. I think I took five years of his life off that night. But he kept, he kept saying to me loudly, you got to speed up, you got to speed up, you got to speed up. And then finally, at one point in time, he goes, merge, merge. And I went from the one lane to the other lane like that. It wasn't a merge. It was just a transition from that lane to that lane. I got over in an instant. It wasn't smooth at all. It wasn't smooth at all. And fortunately, God was with us that night because... At that moment, there was nobody else in that lane. I have no idea how that happened. But we got there, and we got home, and seriously, my dad was white as a ghost after that experience. So it was very much a character-building experience between me and my dad. But it was difficult merging. If you are a, a high school student and you're learning how to drive, the hardest part, in my opinion, except parallel parking, the hardest part of driving is merging on a freeway. It's impossible to learn how to merge on a freeway unless you do it yourself. Unless you just go out there and get up enough courage or have somebody who is motivating you next to you enough to make you go do that. I think it takes just as much courage for us in our spiritual lives, in our journey with God, for us to merge our own lives into the fast lane of what God is doing in his church. You see, God is on the move. Things are moving at a rapid pace. But we have to decide that we're going to be a part of that. And at some point in your life, whether you've been a Christian for years and years and years, or whether you're one of those that made a commitment on Easter Sunday just a few weeks ago, at some point in your life, you have to realize that you have a role in God's church. You have a role in keeping the movement, the ecclesia of God, continuing down the road, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage. And you become vulnerable and you might even get scared to transition from this nice little cushy life with God to serving other people and seeing other people grow in their faith and seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. But at some point in time, 
we, if we're going to pass on this church to the next generation in any kind of condition at all that resembles the way Jesus started it, we all at some point in time have to decide that we're going to merge. We're going to merge to what God is doing in the life of the church. Today's message is really just basic training on what that means. It's kind of a, a starter's guide. And there are some of you who are in here today, and you're going to leave this message hopefully encouraged because you're doing these things I talk about today. Hopefully there are some of you in here that are already on mission in your own personal lives, helping the corporate life of the church continue this mission that God has put us on. Keep on doing what you're doing. But there are some of you in here today that will leave challenged, that may even leave, leave convicted that you haven't done quite enough. Let's take a look at your notes this morning and discover how we can, as the church, merge with who we are as Christ followers. That's the question that I want to answer today. How does who we are as the church merge with who we are as Christ followers? Or maybe even better said, the other way around, who, how... How do who we are as Christ followers merge with who we are as a church first? We must see people with compassionate eyes. We must see people with compassionate eyes. In, in my preparation for this whole series, um, uh, in the months leading up to this series, I asked God to give me an area of scripture to go to or, or a word from him to, to go to, and he kept leading me right back to Jesus himself to take a look at what Jesus did when he was on mission with God's plan for humanity. And so I started reading some of the Gospels, and, and I got to tell you, it's really interesting. Um, Jesus had a theme. Everywhere he went, he was looking to meet needs. He was looking to find out what kind of needs people had. And at the centerpiece of that statement is, number one, our ability to look and find people's needs. And it, the, the second thing is, is the fact that he was around people all the time. I realize there are all kinds of people in this room. There are some of you that are like, Todd, I've already, you've already lost me. I'm not a people person. I don't really like people. In fact, I kind of hate people. I'd like to live my life by myself, thank you very much. This message isn't going to apply to me. And then there's some of you that are like, man, I love people. This is going to be easy, peasy, lemon squeezy, as my kids say, uh, for me to uh, take this message. Here's the facts. It doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. It doesn't matter what kind of person, whether you're a people person or whether you're a sanguine. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are. God has called you, if you're a Christ follower, to have influence on people. And it may be those closest to you. It might just be a, some friends and neighbors. Or who knows, it could be a whole group of people in our community. I want us to take a look at what Jesus did. Take a look at what he did during some of these three years of his ministry, between the time he was 30 and the time that he died on the cross. Take a look at these few verses and see this theme here. First of all, Matthew 9, verse 36 when he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to say that again. When he saw the crowd, he had what? Compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I, I heard a pastor once say, uh, in, in this instant, in Matthew 9 here, which this is where this comes from, 
He said, I picture Jesus walking outside of Jerusalem where these beautiful rolling hills. And he said, I just picture Jesus up on the side of a hill or a mountain. And he's looking over his city, the holy city, the city of God. And he's looking over Jerusalem and he sees all the people going about their business. And, and this pastor kind of communicated it this way. He said, I just, I can see Jesus with this heart of compassion looking at the people in his city. And when he saw them, he had these compassionate eyes for them. And if you go from there, that's towards the last part of Matthew 9. If you go from there, it's Matthew 10 that Jesus gathers together his 12 disciples and they begin changing the world. But even Jesus, even the Son of God had to see their need. He saw and he had compassion. Take a look at this next passage, Matthew 14, 14 through 16. Jesus, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had, what's that word again? Compassion on them. And he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and they said, Jesus, um, <clears throat> guy, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. They're like, hey, Jesus, it's getting to be nighttime. We, we got to go here. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Hey, Jesus, it's late. Let them go to Chili's. I think Chick-fil-A might still be open, Jesus. Let them go and let them get a chicken biscuit and let them have their meal down in the village. They saw the crowd and they didn't have compassion. Jesus saw the crowd and what did he want to do? He wanted to feed them. It's like, man, these people are hungry. I know Chick-fil-A is great, but we have an opportunity to serve with our own hands what we've seen with our eyes. We have an opportunity to see and to meet their needs, meet their physical needs. Now this is, the, this is the passage that's repeated in the other three Gospels where Jesus ends up feeding 5,000 people, and many scholars believe it was many, many more than that because it was probably just 5,000 men, so it could have been 10,000 or more people that Jesus fed. There's a, a, a lesser, obscure passage where Jesus does the same miracle. It was just with 4,000 people. And I want you to take a look at that. It's a chapter later in uh, Matthew chapter 15. Take a look at what he, what he does here. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and they've had nothing to eat. Man, I'm telling you, that would not happen in today's day and age, would it? I mean, you can tell that Jesus had a great impact because people followed him for three days and didn't eat and have had nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Yeah, I bet they would faint on the way if they had food in three days. Verse 33. And the disciples came to him, the good old disciples. Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Do you, do you see Jesus' compassion for the most basic needs of people in these passages? I mean, he really has a heart for them. It's not fake. It's not phony. He's not trying to get somewhere else with them. He really sees a physical need. And he really does want to help them. But it starts with what he saw. Take a look at Mark 6.34, or kind of a repeat of our first passage that we looked at. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, 
And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. You know, Jesus did some amazing miracles. The miracles of feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000 were miracles of multiplication. Jesus multiplied something physical to feed a group of people. And it's really amazing. The miracle itself is amazing enough. But I think what's amazing is that the divine son of God, the one that God sent to this world to save us, is concerned about our needs, our most basic needs. He's concerned about a group of people that need to to have physical needs met. And he saw them and he had compassion on them. It said that the eyes are the windows to the soul, and I believe this is even more true and relates to our own ability to see people with compassion. Sometimes we can't see people with compassion because all we see is ourselves. All we see is our needs. All we see is our hunger and our physical ailment. And all we see is our insecurities. And we don't allow God to open our eyes up and see the compassion or to see people with compassionate eyes. Secondly, in your notes, how does who we are as a church merge with who we are as Christ followers? Secondly, serve people with humble hands. Serve people with humble hands. You know, if all we do is look at people who have needs, we're doing nothing. And it's kind of creepy, okay? So, I mean, let's be honest. You're just going to, like, look at people that have needs. We need to be about the business of, of helping people, don't we? We need to be about the business of helping, helping people. If you have a leaky faucet in your house, what do you do? You fix it or you call a plumber. That's what I would do. You fix it or you call a plumber. If you have a flat tire, what do you do? You fix it or you have someone who can help fix it. You find a fix for that. If your yard is so long that you would lose a small child in it, you get out and you get the mower out and you mow your lawn, don't you? After you've had several letters from the Homeowners Association. <laughs> when we see things in our lives, we go about the business of fixing them. The problem is, is that sometimes all we do is we see and have compassion And then we just let that need go unmet with people. Jesus not only saw people and and had compassion on them, but he saw them and then he went to the dangerous place and he started helping them. You see, when we begin to serve people with our hands, it costs us something. It's dangerous. There's a sacrifice that takes place. If you are a part of a group of people doing a 30-day project here in the month of April and you go to someone's house and you, you um, help uh, clean their yard or maybe mow their yard or get their yard cleaned up or maybe help in the house, that costs you time. Some of you have taken those envelopes out on that back table there and you've put money in them or you've put something in them, maybe a gas card to help someone fill up their car because they're having financial struggles and they need a little extra help with cash. That costs you something. It costs you money. Some of you, I've heard stories of um, already this month, you guys have gone to some of the soup kitchens and you've helped out here on the island. We have some great needs on the island. And some of you have gone to those soup kitchens and for some of you, what that has cost you is your pride. I understand that. I get that. Because Really serving people the way that Jesus did is going to cost us something. And it's interesting because when it costs us something, often once we do it, we begin to be prideful about it, don't we? Like, man, I served at the soup kitchen. Look at me. Look at me. I served at the soup kitchen. 
I went out and I helped that lady and I mowed her yard. All right, look at me. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says we got to be really, really careful not to get prideful in our service. Take a look at what Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says. Beware, he says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. They're done. They're out. That's it. They've received every reward that they have because they've been praised. Verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. You see, our earthly bodies, our our flesh, our, our pride wants to serve and then boast about it. And Cynthia made a great statement. We're not collecting these pictures so that we as a church can boast about it. We're collecting it so that we can celebrate what God is doing. We're going to give him the glory for what he is doing in our community. But we have the tendency, we have to be very careful not to boast about it. Jesus wants us to have hands that serve with complete humility. And when we do that, we really can meet needs and we can do it with authenticity. Finally, how does who we are as a church merge with who we are as Christ followers? We shower people with hearts of love. You know, we can have compassionate eyes and we can have humble hands to serve. And we can go out there and serve in the soup kitchens and feed the hungry and clothe those who uh, need clothing. And we can help change uh, uh, cars, oil in cars. And we can go out and we can uh, help people mow yards. And we can be all over this community. But if we do it with the wrong motive, they're going to see right through it. They're going to absolutely see right through it. They're going to know that you're doing it out of obligation. That's not the kind of heart that we need to have for people. We need to have a heart that absolutely, truly loves people. Our motives ought to come from the fact that Jesus himself said the greatest thing that we can do is love God and love people. Take a look at Mark 12, 28 through 31, one of the scribes came up to Jesus, or came up to them, and he heard them disputing with another, and seeing that, he answered them well, he asked Jesus, what commandment is the most important of all? Now stop for just a moment. This scribe, who's one of the religious leaders, he wanted to see what this rabbi, Jesus, would say is the most important rule. There were 600 rules. Jesus had a lot of opportunity, a lot of different areas to answer, and I think the scribe was trying to get him to answer the way that he wanted to hear. Jesus said this, the most important is, and he stopped and he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he gets to the commandment. He says this, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then verse 31, he adds this on to it. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus, simply put, says, hey guys, all those rules that you're talking about, yeah, they're important. 
But there are, there's one rule that's most important. It's love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. And there's a second one that's just as important. Love people as yourself. Love God and love people. That's what he was saying. Love God and love people. But you know what? We have a lot of things that keeps us from loving people, don't we? We have a lot of things. We have hate that keeps us from loving people. We have an experience in our past that keeps us from loving people. We have maybe a background of bigotry that keeps us from loving people. We have people in our minds, individuals or groups of people that come to our minds, and we say, God, you can't expect me to love him or her or them. But Jesus made no distinction. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others. Love others, your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. You see, church, when we do this, when we really get our motives pure, when we ask God to cleanse our hearts from anything that's within us that's going to keep us from loving people with all of our hearts and uh, serving them with humble hands and seeing them with compassionate eyes, oh man, when we all collectively do that, man, then we become truly a part of the movement of God, the church. And look out for what God can do if we truly do that. There's a very famous American Franciscan priest and monk at a, for a period of his time. His name is Brennan Manning. He moved to the slums of France shortly after college. He dedicated his whole life to serving people. He had eyes of compassion and hands of humility and a heart of love. Well, Brennan Manning once said this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Wow. Thanks, Brennan. Appreciate that. This greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, they walk out the door, and they deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's a great statement. And I think that what he was talking about there is a group of Christians that don't necessarily polish themselves up that don't have this nice, real pretty exterior that we're like, you know, really are, are, are perfect inside. I believe what he was talking about there is, is that we walk out these doors and that we live life like Jesus did. And that we have compassion. And that we have hands that serve with humility. And we have a heart that truly loves People. Jesus, I think, summed it up in one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. In John 13, 35, he said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. So what? What now? What do we do now? Well, you can take a look in your notes there at the bottom. What do I do now? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out a pen and a piece of paper. And I want you to write down the name of a person or a group of people who you are going to show compassion, humility, and love to. I'm going to ask Cynthia and Stephanie to come on up here. They're going to share a song here in a few minutes that I want you to hear. You know, this is a different message. It's much more inspirational than it is instructional. This kind of deals with our heart attitude, our posture before God. 
And some of you may be in here today and you go, oh, that was a great message. That was awesome. I really like that. Give me a pat on my back on the way out. That's great. But you know, if we don't do anything with this, if we don't do anything with this, we cause the church to become institutionalized. We walk away from Jesus' original intent that it's a movement of God. And so I'm asking today for all of us to wrestle with what is it that's keeping me from being all that I can be for God in my community, with my neighbors, with my family members who drive me crazy sometimes, my friends, middle school and high school students who I know don't know Jesus, that friend at work that drives me crazy. What is it that's keeping you from seeing them with eyes of compassion and serving them with humble hands and what's keeping you from loving them with a compassionate heart I want you to hear the song that Cynthia and Stephanie are going to sing and as you hear the words to the song ask God's Holy Spirit to pierce your hearts and to search you and to find What's in you that's keeping you from being all that you can be for God in loving others? Brothers, let us come together, walking in the Spirit. There's much to be done. We will come reaching out from our comforts, and they will know us by our love. Sisters, we were made for kindness. We can pierce the darkness as He shines through. We will come reaching with a song of healing, and they will know us by our love. The time is now, come church arise, love with his hands, see with his eyes, bind it.
if you're a Christ follower in here, I want you to just think for a moment. <clears throat> there was someone in your life, whether it was a week ago or, or decades ago, who saw you with eyes of compassion, served you with humble hands, and loved you enough to serve and to say something to you and to share the message of Jesus with you. And you're here today. You're going to be in heaven for eternity because they were bold enough to do that in your life. For me, it's my parents in many respects, my grandmother, a second grade teacher. And so as you've just thought about the person or group of people that you need to share with, I want you to think about the person who did those things for you. And think about what if they hadn't? What if they hadn't? You can have that kind of influence with those around you. doesn't matter if you're 6 or 76. You can have that kind of influence with the people around you. I'm just going to allow the room to get silent. If you want to get in a posture of prayer, maybe kneel or come down here by the cross. And I'm just going to ask you, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower in here, just to really drill down and ask God to reveal what he needs to. Maybe confess some things. Maybe confess some things that you've had, some anger, some, some frustration. Something that has kept you from doing these things and serving like Jesus served. Admit that to him. Get that out of your life. Don't be guilty about that, but give it to God. Let him take that so you can fully serve the way he intended you. Let's pray if you would. Father, today we pray that we would leave this place not um, callous to what you've revealed to us this morning. And as we walk out those doors and get in that car and drive away, God, that whatever you've said to us in the quiet of these moments, God, would truly change us from the inside out, the way we see people, the way we use our hands to serve, and God, our motives. We pray that for each of us this morning, God, myself included, there would be a true honesty and authenticity in our lives to just not do what we do each day to 
God, just to play out some script that we live in. God, it truly would flow from the Spirit, those of us that are Christ followers, the Holy Spirit in us, leading and guiding us to love others, to see people, God. God, help us to see people the way you see us. That is our prayer this morning, Father. As a people, we would walk in that freedom and in that victory today and leave this place fully realizing that today. I'm going to ask you to sing this chorus with us this morning, just kind of as our anthem, as a church of who we want to be and how we want to live it, live it out this morning. So would you sing it with us? The time is now, come church, oh. 